in the beginning, I was listening to the staff. <laughs> I spent the first 60, 90 days listening to the staff. I came into a very veteran staff of individuals, professionals who had 16 to 25 years each with ATA. <laughs> so I was the sponge soaking up all of their knowledge. And from there, I have gone through the board, done all of my listening tours, meeting with everyone. I most recently did individual meetings with our chapter affiliate leadership and also with our division leadership because we've had some staff turnover and they're used to seeing the same people. And so there's been a lot of, here's how we used to do it. This is how we've always done it. The standard, <laughs> if you can understand the standard, questions and answers and comments from members that have been used to dealing with the same people for years and years and years. It's been both challenging to listen to, but also humbling and rewarding because I'm able to just hear what they're saying, hear what they want. And also at the same time, I have these ideas of how can I make things better for them? is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Kelly Baxter, Executive Director at the American Translators Association, or ATA. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Kelly, tell us about ATA. ATA is the largest professional association of interpreters and translators in the United States. We're a 501c6 trade association. We're headquartered in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. More than 3,000 of our members, they are professional interpreters. We have a pretty vast membership that spans from the United States through Canada, Europe, South America, and Asia. Kelly, in what environments do your members work? Wow, that's a great question. They work in, at this stage, and I won't say post-COVID, I will say in our new environment. Right. <laughs> they work remotely. They work in person. Our members are interpreters and translators that work in government, in the healthcare system, in audiovisual industries, in school systems and education systems. They work anywhere you can imagine. And I didn't realize how much they do until I came on board. <laughs> wow. So, you know, for my listeners and for me as well, what's the difference between a translator and an interpreter? Well, they have similarities, translation and interpreting. They have different skill sets that people don't realize. Interpreters actually mediate the languages orally 
and translators work with written materials. So we have lots of translators that translate documents daily. It could be something as simple as a marriage certificate. You're translating financial documents. There are a lot of financial translators. It's a difference that people don't realize. And most translators are skilled at both translating and interpreting, but some just do interpreting. There are many native language speakers that are interpreters by just being from whatever country they're from. (laughs) Hmm. So, Kelly, I'm a big language fan. I am using Duolingo to learn Italian and Korean. Wow. I read an article recently in The Atlantic that said, learn a language now before AI makes it less useful. And I don't actually believe that learning a language will become less useful because, first of all, love language, right? There's just innate beauty in that. But I have to imagine that AI is transforming and disrupting the profession. So what's happening? It's disrupting in a sense that it is adding an extra tool that our members have to learn. Ah. So it's not disrupting technically in a bad way. I think our members are split down the the middle. Some think this is the worst thing since bringing on electronic systems at the airport where you can check yourself in automatically and you don't have to see a person. Hmm. And then there are others that are using this and seeing this as a way to enhance their own businesses and gain more business from this. Hmm. It's transforming in a way for our industry, and we call it the T&I industry, which stands for translating and interpreting. It's transforming our industry, I believe, for the better because it's allowing us to create new opportunities for our members, and our members have better opportunities for career advancement because they will gain extra tools from having AI tools. You know, it's interesting you say that. My company is working on a large redesign for a global organization. And because of AI, they are now going to offer the website in many more languages, but they're also requiring more human translations as a result, too. So they're doing more of both. That is correct. We participated in a Supreme Court case in the state of New Jersey, and it is about remote and in-person translating and interpreting versus a virtual situation. and. So far, we're we're waiting for an answer, but we believe that being in person is what's best. And in such instances like that, you know, you have someone that is a defendant, for example, who needs a translator. They need a translator for their case. It's much harder for a translator to be effective in the courtroom and support a defendant or a plaintiff in any case. It's much more effective for them to be in person than to be virtual because anything can be construed in the wrong way. And then the result goes in a different way for either side. Right, right. Man, and so much happens in those courtrooms. Right. (laughs) So many subtleties of the law and the language. Correct. Wow. Well, Kelly, you are doing a whole lot that I want to get into. But before we do that, let's talk about your journey. So how did you get to become executive director of ATA? I actually was attending the ASAE annual meeting last year in 2022 and had been interested in the position, had done a couple of interviews and conducted my final interview, believe it or not, while I was at ASAE. Oh, went to my room, did a virtual final interview 
And really from the beginning of seeing the position listed, I thought, wow, this seems like a really unique opportunity. I thought, I speak Spanish. I minored in Spanish in college, so I can do this, but it has nothing to do with my language skills. Right. But I just thought it would be such a unique opportunity to work with a group of individuals and companies who are, their mission in life is to make things better for everyone. And it's not just one-sided. It's anyone that speaks a language. It doesn't matter what language it is, Spanish to English, English to Spanish, French to English, vice versa. So I was really interested in that. I got down to the finalist. And of course, here I was chosen. I started about a month earlier than anticipated. And to my surprise, I was at my first conference of theirs and they introduced me to the membership. And it was just, I had such a warm welcome. I was the president of the board said I was their first choice and they made a great choice. Wow. And so I was so humbled by that. And I'm still very humbled by the support that I get from my board and from the members. My mission this year has been to I've told them that I am on a listening tour for this first 12 to 18 months hmm. because I need to learn and I want to learn more about what makes ATA tip. So what are you hearing during this listening tour and how are you doing it? In the beginning, I was listening to the staff. <laughs> I spent the first 60, 90 days listening to the staff. I came into a very veteran staff of individuals, professionals who had 16 to 25 years each with ATA. <laughs> wow. So I was the sponge soaking up all of their knowledge. And from there, I have gone through the board, done all of my listening tours, meeting with everyone. I most recently did individual meetings with our chapter affiliate leadership and also with our division leadership because we've had some staff turnover and they're used to seeing the same people. And so there's been a lot of Here's how we used to do it. This is how we've always done it. The standard, if, if you can understand the standard questions and answers and comments from members that have been used to dealing with the same people for years and years and years, it's been both challenging to listen to, but also humbling and rewarding because I'm able to just hear what they're saying, hear what they want. And also at the same time, I have these ideas of, how can I make things better for them? I'm getting so much support, so much information. I have not had one person that said, I'm not going to help you. Everyone has said, here's the information that I've had this whole time. I'm going to share this with you. Here's all the instructions. It may not have been documented before, but I'm going to give you all the information that I have. I'm here for you. My team is here for you. So I can't say enough about the members and how nice they've been and how welcoming they've been and very helpful this last 10 months. Well, what a wonderful environment to find yourself in. So let's turn to ATA. You know, you talked about the disruption that AI or maybe the transformation that AI is really affecting in your profession. So you recently held a virtual conference back in May, and it was called Translating and Interpreting the Future. It was all about AI. So tell us about that. So First of all, the content and the delivery method. Yes, that was a test, actually. That was a beta test. First true virtual conference that wasn't forced upon them by COVID. <laughs> oh. They had such a huge response from what I was told. They had a huge response from what happened during COVID and having to flip in person to virtual experiences. And with AI just kind of sneaking in there, 
as we start coming back into in-person events, they decided, let's try this and see how we can turn this into a positive for our industry. So we decided to hold it in the spring, hold it as an all-day, a one-day event where we would have a town hall at the end and everyone could ask questions, but we would bring in experts within the industry that could talk about AI and talk about the myths, talk about how it's going to enhance the business, talk about the challenges people may face and how to tackle those challenges. And so I believe that it was, I don't know, we said, let's just see if we can get a hundred people to do this. Yeah. We had more than 500 people online. Oh my God. On a Saturday. It was amazing. Wow. We had some of the best industry speakers on the topics that we could find. And they're very popular within the industry. And I was very surprised. I was very glad to see such a great turnout. We had a live chat room going the entire time. People could go in and out of rooms. We did networking. So we did in the morning, we did kind of a brunch style of a networking session before we went into all of the sessions. And then we did on the breaks, people could break out into networking rooms. And that's where our sponsors got to get two minutes of fame. (laughs) And they sponsored these networking breakouts. And at the end, we had a big town hall where everyone could literally come in and ask questions of all of the committee members and the speakers that were able to stay around at the end. Our feedback was really good. And I am planning to make sure that this is an annual event. It's allowing us to adjust some of what we do for programming for our in-person conference. It's giving us a way to offer another program and more professional development, more education in a way that those that can't attend in person for three or four days at a time, five days, which our conference runs, they can do a one day and still get the CEUs that they need and still get the credit and still get the education, still network and still find out more about the industry. Yeah. So Kelly, it sounds like the content was amazing, but also the fact that it was virtual also made it accessible to people maybe who cannot or will not travel to a conference for whatever reason. So that's something that you're planning to continue. So you are now going to have a hybrid strategy in that your annual is in person, but your spring conference will be virtual. Yes. And we've even toyed around with making the virtual conference every other year, make it a two-day, and then not having an in-person conference one year, the year that we do a longer virtual conference. We thought about, we talked about that, and we kind of threw it up on the wall at our last board meeting this past weekend, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Flush it out and see what works and what doesn't work, but we are planning to have another one in the spring of next year, and we want to start promoting that this year in the fall at our annual conference in person. Nice. You know, Kelly, I have a client. It's a trade association in the medical field. And their board said last year, we are fundamentally transformed by this pandemic. And so the board gave the association permission to rethink everything in the association. Pretty bold including the annual conference. And so they surveyed the membership and half said, I want it to be virtual and the other half said in person. So they're going to experiment with different models. I'll tell you about it offline, but it's been a really interesting journey. That's a great survey question. And I would definitely think about putting out there as a one question survey to our membership. Yeah. 
Hey, speaking of annual conference, you've got your big one coming up. It's your 64th annual conference in Miami in October. So what new and different things are you going to be doing this year? This year, we actually are providing enhanced sponsorship opportunities. When I came on board, I was told that the sponsors would only sponsor, they only go after sponsorships and exhibitors during the conference, just for the conference. And so one of the things that after having a focus group with our last year's conference sponsors and exhibitors, we found out is that they want more. They want more visibility. They want to do more. They want to be more involved. And so we created a year-round sponsorship program with opportunities that will vastly expand everyone's visibility. And we just opened registration two weeks ago and we opened sponsorships last week. We've already sold close to $50,000 in sponsorship, which we, our goal is really only 65,000. So we're on our way there. Wow. Um, Room block is already at 65% capacity, which is great. And we have close to 300 people registered already. Our normal registration would be, or attendance, I would say, would be close to back before COVID. Yeah, 2019, right? Yeah, pre-COVID would be about 12 to 1,500. This year, we are looking to get to 1,500, but in light of everything that's happening with social justice, the causes, the civil unrest really in Florida, we are anticipating a reduction. We've already had a few speakers that have canceled. We've had some members that said they are not going to come because of their fears of racism and injustice to the LGBTQ plus community. And so we have been taking steps to communicate and be super transparent with our membership, encouraging them to come and support our Florida chapter and support all of our Florida members. So you're kind of enacting a stay and fight, Stacey Abrams type philosophy, right? Yes. Instead of abandoning our Florida chapter and saying, I'm not coming, you're saying, come and support them and help us to promote this cause. Right. And so our Florida chapter is very much involved in the planning and execution of the conference and helping to make everyone feel safe. We've already met with the hotel. We've met with local police. Oh. And we've been told that because this is an election year in Miami, that the local police are giving us extra police force and presence. Why do they think that's necessary for the American Translators Association annual conference? Right. (laughs) That's a little terrifying. Right. I mean, Miami is Miami. Right. And so they've not had, and they've assured us, they've not had one incident. We're going to be in the downtown area. However, what they've told us is they will give us the extra police presence because our members are asking for it. Ah. They want to make sure that they feel safe when they walk outside of the hotel. They feel fine in the hotel. It's walking outside of the perimeter of the hotel where they think, okay, we're having offsite events. Our members are coming from all over the world. Is anyone going to get accosted? (laughs) So, you know, there's cause for some people to feel like, oh, I want to be extra cautious. And we're making sure that the hotel is taking steps. We are taking steps with local police. We are actually engaging a nonprofit organization to help us with some campaigning to raise funds for some of the local social injustices and also help raise funds for our own foundation. So those are some of the things that I think are going to enhance the conference. And it's been quite pleasing to see that in two weeks, our registration has done very, very well. And we're ahead of where we were last year, even with these so-called issues that are happening in Florida. So we're really excited about it. We are 
gearing up for a very successful conference. We have, of course, our board elections. We have a few people coming off the board, some coming on the board. So we have a lot going on this year. We'll move forward from there. I mean, Miami was slated for 2020 and they had to push it because of the pandemic. They pushed it until this year. So we've been waiting to come back here. The conference has been done in Miami for ATA two or three times in prior years and at the same hotel. So it's not a new area for them. And I think we'll have a lot of presence, a lot of our industry presence there. Wow. Well, let's turn to something different. So you've got a certification program. It's very well regarded. The website says that fewer than 20% of the people who sit for the exam actually pass. So why is this important? This certification program is very important for the TNI industry because there are industries that only accept certified translators and interpreters. There are court systems federally and locally that will only accept certified translators and interpreters. So it's a unique gift that we have opportunity that we have for our members because this is a member you have to be a member to sit for our exam. Although you can purchase our practice exam as a non-member and it'll prepare you for the exam. And I would say probably 80% of the people that purchase a practice exam end up joining so that they can sit for the exam because they see the value in the education. We have preparation courses that prepare you for the exam and it's a manual exam. You could take it online, but it's manually graded. It has to be. Yeah. And so we're working on finding a way to electronically grade at some point. I don't know that that will happen, but it's an important certification for those that are in the industry looking to really enhance where they are. If they want that work in federal court systems, then typically you have to be a certified translator or interpreter. And a lot of the school systems now are, take, are forcing that upon some of their workers and uh, medical field, the healthcare field also. Kelly, your certification is so highly regarded. And like you said, it's kind of one of the things that allows you to translate for the government, for example. What kind of outreach do you do as an organization so that the San Francisco School District says, if you're certified by the ATA, we'll take you, so that the hospital system in St. Louis takes you. So what kind of outreach is that? That sounds amazing. We have partnerships with lots of other industry-related organizations. We have the Association of Language Companies, ALC, NAGIT, which deals with translators in the court system, the judicial system. We partner with a lot of the other organizations to show them the value of that certification we are reaching out ah. every way we can, including social media now, which is giving us a much bigger presence in promoting our certification program, promoting the benefits of it, and actually showing testimonies, of course, someone that's got the certification versus someone that doesn't, how much work someone with a certification can get versus someone that is just an independent contractor trying to work on their own to get a job in the court system, for example, in the medical profession, at a university, being a, a teaching professional in the university systems. Hey, let's talk about this for a second. So while we were prepping, you gave me a pretty staggering statistic, which was 62% of your members are close to retirement. Yes. This is terrifying. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, your membership's about to fall off a cliff unless you attract young people to the profession. And 
Kelly, every guest I have on the podcast says they're struggling to find young people to get them into the profession and workforce development is huge. So what are you doing in this area? Well, we did a survey last year at the end of the year. Apparently, ATA had never really asked for demographic information. Mm. The membership committee finally said, we have to have this because we need to know who our members are and where they are. Because when they start disappearing, you want to know why. <laughs> exactly. So, so that survey showed us who the membership was. And in that, we decided okay, how do we reach that younger demographic? We have to dive into the school systems. We have to dive in on the high school, college level and present ourselves there. We have to go to these career fairs. How do we do that? How do we reach the young people? How do we get them interested in our industry? Well, part of that is social media. <laughs> so one of the things we did immediately, I brought a social media coordinator on board immediately. He is 26 years old and has been doing this for years. He's an expert, if you ask me, because I'm not a real good social media person. So we have gone into creating new visibility platforms through social media. We've updated all of our social media channels. We're doing more analytics and outreach with podcasts, with social media, on every social media platform you can imagine. And the result in that has been a really good boost in our analytics. I've seen some of the most impressive numbers for an association. For me, I've seen our numbers go up with engagement, much more engagement online, much more student membership applications coming in, which is great because that's where we are starting to build our future leaders. We start them, we bring them in as students, and we pair them with a mentor. We're going to change that name to probably ATA Ambassadors. Mm. That's one of the, the ideas that we have tossed up in the air and have them walk in with someone for the next year. We're creating those ladders of success with our outreach that way. So Kelly, you're being very intentional with your social media with the goal of really attracting new people to the profession. And it sounds like you're having great success. Amazing. Yes. I think one of the things it's been doing is it's further connecting our members across the world because what other connections, how do they connect any other way? There's listservs, the old fashioned way, listservs, but having social media and that live presence 24 hours a day has really been able to help us connect our members in a way that I don't think they've done since the pandemic. Wow. Hey, I'm interviewing you for my podcast and ATA has a podcast of its own. So tell us about the strategy behind it and what's been the success. We actually have several podcasts. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize that. I only listened. I found one. Okay. <laughs> well, we have a main podcast and that is administered through our membership committee and they pick different topics. We have a Savvy Newcomer podcast, which is for the new members, and they call it Savvy Newcomer because it's for new members. Most of the podcasts are on new things about the industry, new things about your membership you didn't know. We have 22 divisions, and each of the divisions have their own podcasts. So if you're a member of the Spanish language division, there's a Spanish language podcast. Kelly, who is producing all these podcasts? Is the association <laughs> producing 23 podcasts? The divisions, they produce their own. Oh. We have an editor that helps edit. And our social media coordinator also is experienced in podcast editing and video editing. So he helps now, which is even, a, that was just an added plus by hiring him. But the main podcast is produced through our membership department. 
that I created. I created the membership department. They did not have a membership services department at all before I came. And that was one of the first things I did was put a membership services team together where we have a manager, we have two coordinators. Wait, wait, hang on. This is a membership association without a membership department? I know. Well, thank God they hired you. (laughs) So we'll have to put a link in the show notes to the website and the different podcasts. And it sounds like between social media and the podcasts, you are producing amazing content. And that's what's leading to the increased applications and increased visits to the website. Amazing. Yes. Wow. Well, Kelly... I want to thank you for sharing all this amazing stuff. We have to have you back after your conference so that you tell us how Miami went. I'd love to. Absolutely. I'd love to. (laughs) Kelly, we'll definitely have to have you back because I want to hear about the conference. I want to hear about member recruitment. And I want to hear about your hybrid event strategy. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited for what is to come since we've had our board meeting and strategy day. So I'm really excited to flush out all of the new ideas that came up during our strategy day and in turn, bring those full circle after our conference. And I'm I'm excited. I will look forward to reporting great numbers to you. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye! Bye!